morning to the Word of God to 1 Peter, 1st Epistle of Peter, Hebrews, James, 1st Peter, and we'll read a few verses together. Just give you a moment to find it. So 1st Peter chapter 1. On reading from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into, things which angels desire to look into. That particular phrase, that short sentence of Peter's at the end caught my attention this week. Things which angels desire to look into. Angels are powerful, majestic, magnificent creatures, and yet there are things that they desire to look into. Angels are much wiser, far more intelligent than you and I. And yet, there are things that they desire to look into. Angels walk the very corridors of heaven. They see into the very throne room of Almighty God. And yet, there are things they desire to look into. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. That's you, by the way. The Bible calls them flames of fire. And yet, there are things that angels desire to look into. Angels fly from heaven to earth and back again, back and forth, continually as messengers of the Almighty God. And yet, still, there are things that angels desire to look into with all of their intelligence, 
with all of their great wisdom, with all of their wonderful power, with all of their access to the wonders of heaven itself and to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Yet, in spite of all of that, there are still things that angels desire to look into. What more could an angel possibly desire to look into? Well, in that short reading that we read together of Peter's from verse 3 to 12, he gives us some clues. Not all of the things, but just some of them this morning that I want to share with you. First of all, they desire to look into our salvation in Christ. The word salvation is mentioned three times. Verses 5, 9, and 10. Angels are mystified. It's incredible. They desire to look into our salvation. That the eternal Son of God should leave heaven and come to this sin-cursed world and be born as a little baby in a Bethlehem stable with a feeding truck of an animal for a bed. <laughs> it is almost incomprehensible. No wonder angels desire to look into such things. Imagine the creator of the ends of the earth wrapped in swaddling clothes, born to some of the very poorest of people in all of Israel. It's almost beyond belief. They watched him from boyhood. The creator from boyhood learning to be a carpenter, working with his hands physically, making chairs and mending tables. They must have been absolutely amazed to see that. And they watched him over 30 years and that first 30 years in this earth, only a handful of people actually realized that he was the Son of God. Just a handful. And yet every angel in heaven recognized he was the Son of God. They must have shook their heads. Do they not know who he is? Do they not understand that this is our long-awaited Messiah? And then during those last three and a half years of his life on earth, huh, he went from being the most loved man in Israel to the most hated man in Israel. They must have stood in horror as they watched him being beaten and whipped and slapped, spat upon, and eventually nailed to a tree as a criminal, naked, before a gopping, gaping world. Are you beginning to see why angels desire to look into these things? If angels desire to look into these things, shouldn't we be desiring to look into these things? Shouldn't this be our interest? I think that it should. Don't they know who he is? 
How could they do this to the Son of God? They must have thought. Didn't he tell them? Didn't he make it plain? Didn't he show them who he was? Prove it by his miracles, his signs, and his wonders? How could they not understand that? Which things angels desire to look into? Ah, you might think, but did not the angel come to Joseph and say about him, you shall call his name Jesus, or Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins? Yeah, that's true. An angel did say that. But I don't think the angel that said that I don't think any angel in heaven really understood at all the incredible cost, what the price that Jesus would have to pay to be the Savior of the world. The Old Testament prophets, even they prophesied about these things. But they, for the most part, like the angels, never realized the awful price that would have to be paid. Oh, there's the Messianic Psalms. There's Psalms that David wrote would indicate and point towards the suffering. But you see, they prophesied of a Messiah to come and of a kingdom to come and of a Savior to come, but a suffering Savior, a suffering Messiah, I think that it was... Isaiah, who came the closest, did he not? In Isaiah 53, to beginning, just beginning to understand, but not fully, when he said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. But did Isaiah fully understand what he had just prophesied? I don't think so. In fact, a lot of the prophecies of the prophets in the Old Testament, they were so far ahead that they would never happen even in their lifetime. It would take generations for the prophecies to come true. So how could they understand it? They would never see it fulfilled. Did Isaiah understand that the cross would lead to a crown? Did he understand that in between the cross and the crown would come the church? I don't think so. And neither did the angels. Such things the angels desired to look into. Remember the Old Testament prophets were Jewish. And they look for a Jewish Messiah and they look for a Jewish kingdom and they look for a Jewish Savior. Church then was a hidden mystery. And in fact, it took the cross and it took the church to fully explain and make sense of many of their prophecies. They prophesied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they spoke it and they wrote it, but they didn't fully grasp it and get it. Even the very disciples who walked with Jesus for three and a half years didn't get it about the church. They didn't get it about the cross. They didn't get it about the church. They just didn't see it because they were Jewish and looked for a Jewish kingdom and a Jewish Messiah and a Jewish Savior. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4. Apostle Paul indicates something here. Ironically, he was having difficulty trying to show his credentials to the Corinthian church. Some people had crept in and while he was away and they had great swelling words to say and they were puffed up with pride and they had all these letters of recommendation and so when Paul wanted to come back, the Corinthian church wanted to see his letters of recommendation. He says, you're my letters of recommendation. You are, he says. I won you to Christ. So then he said, but in verse 9, he says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. We have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Letting us know that angels were looking on and wondering. In Ephesians chapter 3, he further writes, verse 8, To me who am less than the least of all of the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize that neither the devil and his demons and neither the angels in heaven even began to understand that when Christ came to this earth to die upon a cross that he would birth the church out of his wounded side? They didn't understand that. If the devil had understood that, he never would have put him on the cross. but they didn't see it. It was a mystery hidden. And it took the church to reveal the mystery of God hidden from the ages. In the verses that we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, let me read again verses 10 to 12. Only this time I'm going to read it in New Living Translation. It says, This salvation was something the prophets wanted to know more about. They prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, even though they had many questions as to what it could all mean. They wondered what the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and His great glory afterwards. They wondered when and to whom all this would happen. They were told that these things would not happen during their lifetime, but many years later during yours. And now this good news, the gospel, has been announced by those who preach to you in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Such things that angels desire to look into. And so the first thing that angels desire to look into 
is our salvation in Christ. What a wonderful, glorious thing that is. Hidden from the very ages, hidden from the very angels, hidden from the very powers of darkness for thousands of years until the Messiah, till Christ came and went to the cross and paid the price and the church of Jesus Christ was born. Second thing I believe that, these is not necessarily in order, but second thing I believe that angels desire to look into is our faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ. Four times in those ten verses, five, seven, eight, and nine, Peter mentions faith and believing. And just reading verses seven and eight again. But the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's speaking to a church who's under intense persecution. Nero, that tyrant, was actually burning them alive at his garden parties on stakes. Poor Tyro of them set them on fire to light his garden parties. That's what he's writing about here. They were tested by fire. Angels have never ever had to be tested that way. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See the, the premium that God puts on your faith? See how it's tested to the nth degree? For what reason? The same as gold is put in the fire to purify it that it may be found unto praise and to honor and to glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. No wonder the angels desire to look into these things. Then he says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What an incredible thing your faith is. In the, in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, it says that, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are invisible. We live in an unbelieving, skeptical world today. We live in a world today that would rather believe in evolution 
and a mechanistic universe, something that just randomly happened by chance, per chance, we believe it by faith. We believe it because the Word of God says so, and we trust God's Word above the Word of man. The angels find that incredible. That we have such a faith in God's Word. Whom having not seen, you love. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, Peter's talking to people whose faith is on trial, who are being spotlighted, who are being pointed out, who are being highlighted for their faith, and all hell has been let loose against them for their belief in Jesus Christ. And the angels look on in amazement when they see what they go through and at the end of it, they still believe at the end of it and they still have faith and trust in one whom they have never seen. Faith and trust in one who has been resurrected from the dead. Verse 3, it talks about the resurrection. We were never a witness to the resurrection. We have never seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. Maybe never even have seen him in vision form. But yet, we believe and we trust him. The angels has never ever had to have faith for that. They were with him from they were created in eternity past. They could see him. We can't even yet. And yet her faith holds in the midst of it. In John chapter 20, after Jesus is resurrected, remember how difficult it was for some of the disciples to believe? Remember whenever the woman went from the tomb and reported, it says their words were counted as idle tales. And then Jesus appeared to some of them in a room. He just walked right through the wall. Suddenly they're in a locked room and he just appeared in the midst of it. That'd be pretty convincing, wouldn't it? Might be not so convincing if you're just on your own because you may think you'd ate too much pizza the night before or something and you had a dream. But there's a bunch of them. But one wasn't there that night. Thomas. And when they told Thomas... He says, unless I see him, unless I see those nails in his hand, unless I put my finger in those touch, he says, unless I do that, he says, I will not believe. Second time Jesus appeared to them, he was in their midst. Listen to what he says, first of all, verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. So he said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
After eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. If you want some evidence, you want some hard evidence, okay, go ahead. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. That's me. And Jesus says we are blessed. We're even blessed more than they were blessed. Because we have to believe it by faith. They actually saw him. They could actually touch him. They had breakfast with him on a beach. We haven't had any of that. All we have is naked faith. Trust the book. Trust the word. Trust his spirit. No wonder the Bible says which things angels desire to look into. Angels actually admire your faith in Christ because they know you have never seen him. And they know you're simply believing by faith and you're living your life by faith. And they know that without that faith it would be impossible to please God. You say, I don't feel much time, times I don't have much faith. And Jesus said, even if your faith was just the size of a grain of mustard seed. It is so precious. It is so important. It's such a valuable thing in your life that you cannot live this Christian life without it. You can't do it. Even if you knew all things, even if you understood all of this universe, God would make sure there's something that you don't understand and that you can't see and you can't figure out, so you need your faith. He'd make sure of that. So the way you would trust Him it's not by what you see, but it's what you believe, his word says. And that's a precious gift that God has given each and every one of us. And so angels desire to look into our salvation in Christ. They desire to look into our faith in Christ also. But I think there's something else they desire to look into. And I think... This must go way, way, way to the top of their list. I think this is even more amazing to the angels. Not even our faith in Christ, but Christ's faith in us. That Christ, the Son of God, should believe in us, should trust us, should have faith in us. They must have shaken their heads in amazement, when after Christ had risen from the dead, the first thing he did was start to gather around him those self-same disciples who had so miserably and blatantly failed him. His closest disciple, the one that he had put the most trust in, the one who boasted the most, was the one who even denied that he ever knew him and swore an oath to bag it up. I know not the man. <laughs> the angels must have shook their head 
when Jesus gathered those self-same failures to his side again. The angels must have looked and wondered and thought, surely he cannot possibly ever trust that lot to continue his mission on earth. Why would he do such a risky thing? Had they not proven beyond all doubt that they were unworthy and incapable of carrying on his mission on earth? I mean, that must have been what it looked like to them. That's what it looked like to us. Would you have took them on again? Would you ever trusted Peter again? Would you ever trust any of them after they ran away and deserted you? <laughs> I don't think so. But he did. And so Christ's faith in us must be a mystery to the very angels. I know the story's a bit hackneyed now, but there's a legend that whenever Jesus rose again from the dead when he went back to heaven, the angels gathered around him. He says, Master, who is going to continue your mission on earth? Who's going to carry out your plans for the world? And Jesus allegedly said, my disciples. But Master, they have failed you. They have failed you. What if they fail you again? What are your plans if they fail you again? And Jesus allegedly said, I have no other plans. I have no other plans. That's faith in us, isn't it? And he doesn't have any other plans. He's not going to send the angels to preach the gospel to the lost world. He doesn't have any other plans. If we don't do it, it won't be done. Simple. If you and I do not do it, it will not be done. He is wholly and completely trusting and depending on us to get his message out. He has no other plans. There's no other way. No wonder angels desire to look into these things. Behold, what manner of love, what kind of love is this that we should be called the sons of God? That's what John said, 1 John 3, 1. Behold, look with wonder and amazement. Be surprised, be amazed at this manner of love that we should be called the sons of God. If angels are amazed, if they are surprised that the Lord would trust us, should we not be amazed? Should we not desire to look into these things? Should we not be fascinated by such a statement? Should we not be praying and saying, Lord, I can't understand, I don't know why. <laughs> I have failed you many times, but you still trust me? You still believe in me? You're still counting on me to go out and share your gospel? It's amazing, isn't it? Which things angels desire to look into? Now, the word look there is interesting. It's paracupto. Paracupto. 
And it's a combination of two words. Para meaning beside. You know that we talked about the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one called alongside to help. We talk about paramilitaries, those who are called alongside the armies. We talk about parallel lines, lines that are beside one another. So para simply means beside. Kupto means to bend, to stoop, to buy over. To put the two together it means to, to bend beside. To kind of stoop over and look. Think of a scientist in his lab. And he, he's bending over his microscope and he's looking into and he's studying intently. Think of a botanist. And he's bending down. And he's stooping over. And he's looking at the flower. At the stamen. And the petals. And he's wondering. And he's fascinated. He's trying to figure it out. Think of a parent. With their newborn baby. And they're looking into the crib. Their eyes are wide and they're thinking, that's bone of my bone. That's flesh of my flesh. How could that be? How could that happen? It's a mystery. It's a miracle. That gives you some of the impression where it says that angels desire to look into. Let me give you a better illustration. Let me give you a scriptural one. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, whenever they made the ark, there was something called the mercy seat was placed upon the ark. It was a thick slab of pure gold. And on the mercy seat were two golden cherubim, angelic creatures. And have you ever seen an image of this? Because the Bible tells us what it was like. And here what the, here's, here's the way the two cherubims are pictured, all right? They're pictured, bent over, with their wings outstretched, opposite each other, their wings touching, and both of them are looking down upon the mercy seat. <coughs> the mercy seat was the place where the blood was sprinkled. It's representative of the place of atonement, representative of the cross, the seat of mercy. And they're looking down. As if they're saying, what's that? What is this? Angels desire to look into these things. And they look down from the balconies of glory. And they look at our lives as saved and rescued from sin and the devil and this world. And they're anxious to understand it. <laughs> they look into it and they're amazed. Because they never needed this. It didn't have to happen to them. Because they never sinned. They're pure. They're holy. After all of these thousands of years, do you know what? They're still looking into it. 
They still don't know all there is to know. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, after 30 years, the man who had been caught up into the third heaven, who saw things that was unlawful to tell another human being, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the man who met Christ in the desert place, after 30 years, you know what his cry was? That I might know him. After 30 years, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he still, after 30 years, said, that I might know him. We don't know all there is to know about him yet. And neither do the angels. And if we live to be another 100 years, we'll still not fully know all there is to know about him. It's going to take all of eternity to fully know all about him. Glory to God. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, we're just about finished. Whenever Jesus was talking about the end of the world and the end of the time, the end of the age, and he talked about him coming again. And of course, disciples were anxious to know when these things would happen. And he says, no man knows. And then he says, not even the angels in heaven know. But my Father in heaven, he's the only one that knows. Not even the angels in heaven know when Jesus is coming back again. And so yet as some poor idiot of a man in America this past lot of months prophesying that Jesus was coming a certain day, it happened three or four times. Tragedy. Tragedy. A man who was well-versed in scriptures, a man who started out wonderfully well and orthodox and evangelic and everything, and he got on to a tangent and he couldn't get off it. And he started to read into things that weren't there. Did he not see that not even the angels in heaven know? Only the Father? So there's lots they don't know yet. And there's lots we don't know yet. A.T. <laughs> Pearson, great old preacher of old, he said, However poor a preacher, I can preach the gospel better than Gabriel can, because Gabriel cannot say, what I can say, I am a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> There's not an angel in heaven can say that. They don't even understand grace. It's a mystery to them. It's a mystery. But it's something that God has given us, isn't it? Oh, there's lots more, but I haven't time to give them to you. You can think about it yourself. You can look into them. There's lots of things that angels desire to look into, and I would encourage you to look into them too. Be fascinated as the angels are. Be amazed as the angels are at this wonderful salvation that we have got. Christ's faith in us, our faith in Him. It's wonderful. Amen.